0: Hello and welcome to the Interactive Investor Podcast, where we discuss matters of investment interest. I'm Richard Hunter, Head of Markets, and in this episode, we'll be taking a look at two very different but important aspects of investing, funds and dividends. To help us talk through these, I'm delighted to be joined by Moira O'Neill, our Head of Personal Finance, and Lee Wald, our Head of Equity Strategy. So Moira, in terms of funds, how do you start building a portfolio?
1: Well, when you're starting, I would go for a fund that spreads your investments as widely as possible. And also for the lowest cost. Um, Actually, the Vanguard Life Strategy Funds can do this for you. We've picked those as our main recommendations. So there are what we call our quick start funds for those who need an easy solution when they're starting out. They've got very low ongoing charges of just 0.22% a year. And they're like ready-made portfolios. They give you one-stop access to the world's equity and bond markets. Um, But alternatively, if when starting you did want to go all guns blazing, try and outperform um, the world's stock markets, you could use an actively managed fund that spreads your money around the world. And there, you're probably taking on more risk. You're also taking on the risk that the fund manager might not outperform and might, in fact, underperform. Um, But um, lots of people like to take that risk. Um, Investment platforms like Interact Investor have Um, recommended um, fund lists, most of them. And at Interactive Investor, we have our Super 60 list. And that can help you narrow down your fund choices, both in um, active funds and um, the passive funds that try to replicate the stock market indexes. And um, so, so that's a good place to start. Um, I'd also, you know, make sure you're really motivated to start investing as well. So I recommended sort of googling a long-term graph of the stock market to reassure yourself that the trend goes up over time, and that there are very few ten-year periods when you, an investor, would have lost money. And um, I would also recommend um, researching the huge difference it makes to the end result if you wait even ten years, because that should work as a bit of a, a kickstart um, to get. Started. Started now and not delay it any longer. Um, because of course, you can always make excuses not to get started and current uncertainty over Brexit, maybe making you hesitate, etc. But if you do get started, and particularly if you drip regular amounts um, every month into the stock market, you could actually be buying bargains if the stock market falls.
0: So, how would you pick between active and passive funds? It's obviously an ongoing debate in the investment community
1: at the moment. It is. I mean, all funds are simply pooled investments, and they allow the investor to invest their cash in a a diversified um, basket of investments um, across a a wide range of sectors, industries often around the world too. Um, but given there are thousands and thousands of funds on offer, choosing it can feel like um, tiptoeing through a financial minefield. Um, and in the broader sense, there are these two styles to choose from: passive and active. So passive funds, which are also sometimes referred to as index trackers, are um, sort of computer-run portfolios, and they simply simply try to mirror or track a particular stock market index, such as the FTSE 100 index of the UK's biggest um, companies or the S&P 500 in the US. Um, And the bottom line is um, that the investment returns from these passive funds will echo, um, subtract the costs, they'll echo what the index has achieved. Um, If the stock market um, rises, the fund will go up. If the stock market falls, your fund goes down. but um you know active investing on the other hand Um, sometimes carries um, a bit of an extra cost involved. Um, It's typically nearer to 1% a year, um, whereas um, passives, you can pay paying less than 0.1% in charges on some passive funds. They're super cheap. Um, But with the the heavier price tag on active funds, you've got an actual fund manager, a real person um, in the driving seat. They're buying and selling the investments on your behalf. And what they're aiming to achieve is market beating returns. They're aiming to beat those indices, such as the FTSE 100 or the S&P 500. one well, of the main advantage of active of active investing is if a manager believes that a particular sector or a particular investment is about to fall, they can sell out and buy into something more attractive. Um, and they can they can try and protect the investors in their fund from potential losses.
0: So how would one choose between different fund types?
1: Well, it's it is worth bearing in mind that there are different types of fund structures. Um, the most common, um, commonly known, are open-ended funds. Um, they're often referred to in the jargon as unit trusts or open-ended investment companies. Um, when you buy a unit or a portion of the fund, um, you you get exposure to all the investments within that fund. And open-ended funds can be active or passive, but they will grow in size as the asset manager gets more investors into the fund and as investors sell out, the um, the manager has to sell some holdings as well. Um, by contrast, there's something called closed-ended funds, which um, many will know as investment trusts. Um, they're a slightly different beast. They, they're still aiming to um, deliver good investment performance, but they issue um, a limited number of shares, and they're structured as companies, and they're listed on the stock exchange. They're actually traded, so their price can fluctuate depending on investor demand. Um, so, um, they can, um, the shares can move up to trade at a premium to the underlying assets in the portfolio. Um, investors could also buy them sometimes at a discount the actual value of the investments in the portfolio. And lots of uh, bargain hunters out there try and do that because they like to get in um, when the investment trust looks cheap.
0: Thank you very much indeed Moira. Lee, dividends are a very important part of uh, an investor's investment arsenal. Um, is there a right level of income an investor should be looking for?
2: Well, it's not necessarily a right. There's a, there's a, a, an ideal sort of a level, a, certainly a target that they should have. Um, and I think it's worth reflecting on the, the, the environment for, for dividends and income at the moment. Um, I mean, savers have been one of the big casualties of the financial crisis and they continue to suffer in more than 10 years on. Uh, I mean, I think we can all remember the times when the Bank of England um, was rate was at 5.75% and you could fairly easily find um, a savings account paying around 6% plus. Um, so, they were the heady days for for uh, um, for savers, but that was the summer of 2007. Um, so it wind forward to August 16, uh, and it's more like 0.25%. I mean, interest rates at record lows. So we've had two rate rises since then, we're up to 0.75%. But interest on bank account savings, I mean, it's still very low by historic standards. You, know, you can get 1.5% on a standard bank account at the moment. Um, if you're willing to fix for a, a year or two, you can get over two percent. Um, so look, it's no wonder why investors have flocked to equities for for income um, for their income qualities. Um, historically, the FTSE 100 yielded around four percent. It's about four and a half at the moment, um, and and so you know, that's attractive compared to what you can get in as, as a saver. So, I mean, a lot of this has been to do with share price declines among some of the uh, the indexes, big uh, and generous dividend players, Vodafone, BT, Imperial Brands. I mean, they, they've all, they're, they're good companies, historically good companies, strong companies, um, but for uh, for a number of reasons, um, often very different, uh, they, they've ended up where they are and the, the share prices have come down uh, um, sharply. So the inverse relationship between share prices and yield, um, that if you know, the share price comes down, if they continue paying the dividend, then the, the yield increases. Um, I mean, house builders, again, they've been returning excess capital to share uh, shareholders via so-called special or, or one-off dividends. So, if you look on the in the, the financial press, you'll often see that uh, the house is yielding you know, as much as 10%, so you know, quite eye-popping. Um, and also the uh, the banks as well after being pushed to the brink during the financial crisis um, they' scrapped dividends and run on the banks they've uh, they've got their house in order they're paying dividends now they're even increasing them uh, people are, are t- rightly talking about banks as income stocks so uh, tighter industry regulation strength of balance sheets they're less risky than they were post the financial crisis in much better. Uh, condition, uh, and they're making big profits, generating cash, and they're returning that cash to shareholders. So, I mean, investors shouldn't be fooled into chasing the highest yields that they see in the newspapers or on uh, finance websites. But getting back to the original question, what should um, an investor, what kind of annual return should they look for? Well, look, that 4% yielded by the FTSE 100, it shouldn't really be beyond Investors in in the current environment, um, you know, it, it, the ones who are accept, willing to accept that sort of moderate risk, um, but I mean it's not it's not straightforward. Um, so, so what sort of things should investors be looking out for? Well, certainly, you know, primarily how well a company can afford to keep paying its dividend. Um, the the easiest way to do that really is to look at dividend cover. Uh, and that's a simple calculation: dividend per share or earnings divided by dividend per share. Um, dividend cover of two times that suggests the company can easily afford to keep paying the dividend at current levels. Uh, I mean, that's assuming that there are no sort of uh, you know issues arise in the meantime. Um, but uh, you know, keep an eye on things. If it slips below one and a half, that can often sort of uh, start alarm bells ringing. Um, and it's, uh, it's interesting to see the FTSE 100 dividend coverage just below uh, 1.5 at the moment, or 1.43. So, um, uh, that that's a good indicator and something that investors should watch. It's not the only indicator, though. Um, a company may decide to invest heavily. So, using that excess capital to invest and grow the business rather than return to shareholders, well, it might be a better use of... The, the, uh, the, the company's money. So, uh, um, if the market agrees with that strategy, then that doesn't have too much of an adverse impact on, on, on a company's share price. Um, it's if there is some disagreement within the market about that, that strategy that, that the problems can arise. But look, I mean, if picking individual stocks, particularly income stocks, it might look straightforward. And, and it, it can be for the most part, you look for a decent yield decent dividend cover. But as you're picking individual equities, individual company shares is high risk. Um, So investors who aren't as confident or or in making those decisions or who might like to pass that on to an industry professional um, could decide to buy an income fund or or, a trust. Um, I mean, that does pass on the responsibility to an experienced portfolio manager, um, and now look to, uh, to invest in a broad spread, spread of um, income opportunities. Okay, so you've picked your dividend strategy now, so what happens next? Well, there there is another choice to be made. Um, you can reinvest your dividends or you can take that dividend um, as income um, and your monthly cheque or, or quarterly or, or half yearly cheque paid into your your bank account so uh, but that decision depends on a a few things and and firstly do you need the money Um, why are you looking for income um, stocks or income opportunities Um, are you at or near retirement and looking for a steady stream of income I mean, if not, the sensible decision is to reinvest the dividends every time if you can afford to. I mean, it's easy. Uh, it costs little or nothing at all. And um, it gives rise to the benefit that you know, people may may uh, uh, have heard of uh, compounding. Now, this is simply the benefit of reinvesting over time. So when the dividend you reinvested by shares in the company that pays the dividend, um, in subsequent years, those shares also generate dividends, um, and you keep reinvesting, and the benefits you know can be quite significant, or substantial um, um, over time. So, uh, yeah, don't underestimate the power of compounding. Lee, thank you very much indeed. a thank
0: you too, and thank you for listening. Do join us next time for another interactive investor podcast.